Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, visionaries. It's Elaine, your friendly crypto host and producer at Real Vision. My guest today is Tanya Reif, who has a wealth of experience in the macro and crypto space. She has worked for some of the world's top macro hedge funds. Tanya, welcome to Real Vision. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Delighted to be here. Tanya, I invest in crypto, but recently I've really just had to stop and look at things from a macro sense. So I want to just sort of have a conversation with you about how investors like yourself handle these turbulent times. So I just want to hear your story and let's just start by how you got into finance first and then we'll get into the crypto side of things. Well, actually it is quite related uh, because uh, it turns out that I grew up in Venezuela and my country went through tons of episodes of currency crisis. Uh, this is a particularly uh, severe ones while I was growing up. And this is, of course, not unique to Venezuela. A lot of us in emerging markets in Latin America, in East Asia, in Africa, uh, we've gone through episodes of big currency depreciations, big currency devaluations. And because of that, I got interested in economics. That eventually led me to come to the US and do a PhD in international economics at Columbia University. And I did my dissertation on currency dynamics. Um, when I graduated, I went to work at the International Monetary Fund, which of course is the institution that was created to help uh, countries deal with their balance of payments stability, which is really what determines the currency stability. And after that, I went to the private sector and last, I would say, 13 years and I've been in the buy side uh, on macro hedge funds. I've been trading currencies and interest rates. And when the crypto uh, revolution uh, started, I became very, very curious because, of course, it was right down my alley. Uh, this is what I had studied, currency dynamics. Um, this was you know, promising to disrupt uh, the world monetary system. And I was very curious about it. Um, I didn't feel it was a mature enough um, area to uh, uh, ecosystem to actually get involved until recently. Um, I started to look at it more seriously in 2018, but it was really after 2020 when we had this huge tailwind from uh, global macro liquidity that really gave another push to uh, formality in the sector, to institutions, to adoptions. And, um, and eventually I decided I was ready to launch my, uh, my crypto fund and that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> so go back to your question about uh, what has been happening in the last couple of months and, uh, and, and how to navigate this. So I think this is actually very, very interesting times because it highlights that the crypto space, even though it's obviously very technology heavy, we need to understand the protocols and the algos and what's driving all this thing and the huge technological innovation that is really opening the doors to a lot of new opportunities uh, in, uh, uh, in the space, uh, we also can't forget that the financial dynamics and the macroeconomic dynamics matter, will always matter, and they are 
crucial to understand, to understand the sustainability of these uh, coins or tokens or whatever it is in the space you're looking at, because they are very, very interlinked. So let me start by saying the following, which is if there's just one thing your viewers should remember from this conversation is what has happened in the last couple of months was not a technological problem. It was not a hack. It was not an issue with a badly programmed algo. That's something that failed, a protocol issue that just, you know, got stuck or, you know, no. The big two episodes that we had, which is the Terra Luna last month and the collapse of Celsius and the state if uh, uh, debacle this month, they are two episodes that have happened in traditional markets for the longest time. These are traditional finance problems. The first one, the Terra Luna problem, that was a peg that blew up effectively. That was a stable coin peg that was trying to peg the value of a token to the US dollar. Of course, there are some subtle differences, but I'm just going to make a broad generalization and say, we have seen this in emerging markets for the longest period of times. We have seen in traditional effects markets, in traditional sovereign uh, uh, markets, where the central banks of very different countries try to peg the value of their currency to the US dollar. And in order to make it appealing for people in the local uh, country to keep their money inside the country, initially they start by offering very high appealing interest rates. And so people say, we'll buy an Argentine bond that is, has a very high interest rate and keep their money in local currency because this, the, they have a peg to the US dollar. So they have no volatility on the exchange rate relative to the dollar and they have very high interest rate. And that sounds very appealing until it's not sustainable and the peg blows up. So this has happened in my country, in Venezuela, in Argentina, in Nigeria, in Egypt, in East Asia, and the Asian financial crisis. We have seen this many, many times. And the question is, is that interest rate that they're offering sustainable? When it's not sustainable, what do countries do? They put capital control. So they don't allow people to get their money out of the country. So they're just stuck in there. But in crypto space, of course, that's not the case. And you have to ask yourself if you're going to put your money in something that tells you we have a very attractive yield, a 20% yield, we have no volatility and no risk, that is highly suspicious. I'm not saying it can ever happen, but you have to ask yourselves, where is that 20% coming from? Where is that yield coming from? Because no matter how sophisticated the algorithm is, no matter how fancy stuff we have, we don't do black magic. So they're not gonna create 20% out of thin air. And the question is, where was that coming from? And in this case, a lot of these, uh, the case with Anchor, but it also happens elsewhere in the crypto space. If somebody's subsidizing your yield, meaning they're paying it from their pockets, you want to ask yourself how deep, deep are those pockets when everybody wants to run out the door at the same time. And when you look at that carefully, you will see that some of these protocols work when things are going well, when things are rising, when prices are going up, but, but everybody needs their money and everybody wants to get out then it's not so attractive. In the case of Terra Luna, of course, we can blame it on the macro environment, which has all the challenges that we know, but we also had a new stablecoin, the USDD, that opened two or three days before, and that was offering 30% 
equally unsustainable as we have seen. Um, but you know, why wouldn't people be you know move from the twenty percent to the thirty percent, and then you have a run on the uh, on the stable coin peg? And if that's unsustainable, it's going to break. So maybe I'm going into too much detail, but the the, the bottom line no. of that episode is to say you need to look very well where you're putting your money in. You need to vet these protocols, vet these things. Not only that it's a very beautifully coded algo, which is, that's great. You know, we're not, you know, talking about frauds or, you know, or anything like that, but it's actually, that was just the financial architecture design, the financial design of this thing was unsustainable. And that's where you want to dig deep and that's where you want to look. And by the way, People that say, well, this was a malicious attack on the peg and there were, you know, like big players. Well, that doesn't matter. When you have something that is unsustainable and the market smells blood, they will attack. I spent part of my career working for George Soros in Soros Fund Management. He's mm -hmm. very famous for attacking, of course, the British pound. And this is yes. not, you know, this is not unique to Soros. This is not unique to Terra Luna. This is this has happened on many unsustainable pegs around the world. If there is, if you're unsustainable and the market smells blood, you're going to be attacked sooner or later. So that's the one point. The second point is, well, this was, you know, a malicious Ponzi scheme fraud that was designed like that on purpose. I don't know, of course. I don't believe so. I just think a lot of the people that are programming these algos um, believe very, very much in the technology and, you know, they're concentrated on, you know, we can create with this new technology anything we want. And they forget that at the end of the day, you know, technology is not black magic and you really need something that is financially sound. And you need, if you're going to invest your money, you need to either know how to bet these things yourself or give your money to someone that can vet these things for you so that you're protected from these episodes. For yourself, how do you, someone with so much experience like this, to understand this whole sort of trading architecture with financial institutions, I, I need to ask you, like, how do you sort of, from your position now, how do you figure out the timings of crypto trading uh, when it is so, so volatile? What are the sort of executable, tradable themes that you learn in macro that you can see translate directly into crypto now? Well, actually, that's a great segue for uh, the second episode that we had this month. So we talked about Terra Luna. We also mm -hmm. had the Celsius problem with the state ETH uh, uh, and ETH DPEG and so on. And... That was a different problem than the Terra Luna. That Terra Luna issue was, uh, you know, breaking of a peg that had all the altcoins uh, uh, sell off because people were worried about quality in those more obscure assets, and they just stayed with the uh, outperforming higher quality Bitcoin, if you will. But then you had the Celsius debacle, and this is actually a liquidity problem. That is also a very common episode that we have seen in traditional finance, which is you may be solvent but you can be illiquid. And we don't have a lender of last resort in crypto, which means that when everybody needs to their money back and everybody runs out the door, those that have no liquidity have to go out and sell high quality assets. And when they, you know, when they do that, we actually saw Bitcoin underperform, for example, in this last episode. So this, the, this, this issue of deleveraging is a very, very risky issue because you could have a lot of things sell off very, very steeply, very disconnected from fundamentals. So when you want to time your trades, 
you want to take into account the risk factors around it. So you want to look at the macro environment. You want to look at macro risk from interest rates, highs, liquidity issues. You want to look at peg risks. The, the issue of Terra Luna may have been unique to Terra Luna, but at the end of the day, they were using to stabilize the peg. They were using Bitcoin as reserves. So what happens? When you need to defend the peg, you need to go sell your Bitcoin. And since everything's correlated with Bitcoin, everything's going to come down. So in order to time the trains appropriately, you want to be more risk averse in the environment where you are facing a peg blow up. Or when you have a deleveraging episode, again, you may have very good quality assets. You may have done your homework. You did your, you know your fundamentals. You have identified which coins or tokens you really like and you want to hold in the long run. But if you're passively sitting on it in the middle of a deleveraging episode, you could get steep, steep losses. So what I try to do, the strategy that I try to follow is to actually be more risk averse, to actually stay on the sidelines or uh, 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 stop out of some of the trades uh, until the environment clears up uh, until the leveraging, deleveraging clears up a little bit, and when you know the uh, landscape looks uh, uh, clean or cleaner, um, then you have a little bit of the green light to go back and take risk and buy those very high quality assets that may have been sold to really uh, uh, undervalued prices, and you can actually pick up a really attractive trades from here when you're ready. Hey, if you like this clip, be sure to check out the full interview and more only on realvision.com forward slash crypto. It's 100% free. Sign up now.